Good morning. You guys are looking so good. I, I haven't been able to, the lights were low, so I didn't get to see who all was here. So I'm just scanning the room. Uh, good. So good to see you. Uh, welcome to church. I'm excited. I don't know, Carrie, did you actually say when Spirit Connection was Sunday nights? What, what time? 6 to 8 p.m. Sunday nights. I will be there. My wife has told me I will be there too. Uh, and my kids will be there. So really, you need to sign up. And I don't know if we're capping it out because uh, this is kind of, it might be too many. So don't delay. If you want to be a part of this, you want to sign up earlier rather than later. It's going to be a 10-week commitment. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I need to move on. I have my notes here. We're in a series called Sucker for Love. When you walked in, you got a handout uh, that has our scripture and fill in the blank. If you need that, will you just wave at our worship post? They also have pens if you need pens, if you're tired of using your eyeliner for your notes. We are in a series called Sucker for Love, and this is part two. And when you exit today, you are going to get your very own sucker. Uh, I didn't give it to you beforehand uh, because you would focus on the sucker rather than the content of my sermon. Uh, but you will get that. Our worship post will have that for you when you exit today. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. You know, pursuing love in a sexually liberated culture can present a wide variety of conflicts, dilemmas, disappointments. Uh, true freedom comes when we're pursuing and cultivating love in the context of God-honoring relationships. And so we're talking unpacking love in this series and, and going beyond just the strategies of, you know, how to stay married. You know, Carrie and I have been married for how many years, Carrie? 20, that's right, 26, 26 years. You know how you stay married for 26 years? You don't get a divorce. We've been married for 26 years and, um, what we're not going to focus on probably in this series is the mechanics of staying happily married. And we've done that, and there's value to that, and I can recommend a ton of great books. We have some in the well, actually. Love and Respect is one of, one of our favorites. Um, so if you're struggling in your marriage, but what I really want to focus on is I want to just kind of unpack this concept of love and just root it in Scripture. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of noise in the world about what love looks like, what it is and what it isn't, and, and, and that's fine and, and good. I, I just want us to view love through the lens of Scripture. Are you with me? Like if we can't walk in love but define love as Scripture does, then we've missed the entire point. So today I want to talk to you not just about you know, what love is or what love does, but 
there's another step with love that we might be missing. I'm afraid we might be missing. You know, when we, we talk about love, there's this companion to it that needs to be a part of our world and a part of our life. And I don't know that I've ever even heard a sermon on it, but we're going to talk about it today. It's called the love connection. Today is the love connection. Father, in Jesus' name, I just sense your presence so strong in this room. God, I don't know what your plans are for the next 25 minutes that I have this microphone, but I do ask that you would use me. Use me to see what you're doing in the room and to flow with you. God, I ask that you would just step into the space right now, wherever these people are, wherever their hearts are, wherever their minds are, wherever their emotions are. God, step into that space and unpack this sermon for them in such a transformational way, such a life-changing way. God, let them know that they can actually live a life without just using the term love loosely. But love has a connection and it has a friend. It has a companion. So God, I ask you would let us walk into that in its fullness today. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen. Amen. So glad, so glad that I get the chance uh, to share this sermon. I, um, I kind of geeked out on it. I studied probably more than I could effectively ever communicate, um, but it's a great topic. You know, you may have heard some preachers say in the past that if you ever find the perfect church, uh, please don't join it, because if you do, it's not going to be perfect anymore, right? Um, local churches are made up of human people with flaws, with, with issues, and uh, you, you will not find a perfect church. However, some churches come closer to perfect than others. Do you know what I mean? And I think we'll look at this book of First Thessalonians and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, some churches are just closer to the New Testament idea of church and it just feels a little more right and the church at Thessalonica was in that category what we're going to read today is a church that man they were just going on all cylinders they had it going on it was as close to perfect as you're probably going to find in scripture regarding a church so uh, at least three times in this letter of First Thessalonians, Paul gives thanks for the church and the way it responds to his ministry. And listen, not every pastor can give thanks to God for the way their church responds to his ministry. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I can. I can give thanks to God for the way you respond to my ministry, but not every church can. Uh, but I, I honestly can say that I can. Because our church, like, like every other church, um, has been through some hell and high water together. You know, can I say that? I don't, that's not really about, uh, we've been through the place Hades and high water together. You know, the people that call this church their home in 2022, um, you're still here because you've had to fight for unity. Can we just take a moment and just sit in that? Just pat yourself on the back, right? Very humbly uh, that, that you're still here. And over the last couple of years, you've had every opportunity in the world to find a reason to pack your bags and leave. 
I mean, the last political election worked hard to get you out of here. But you stayed. Then came black boxes and blue lines that demanded you pick a side. But you chose unity. Then came along a plague that brought lockdowns and isolation. And if someone was looking for a reason to disconnect, they had it. But you chose connection. Then in, in this corner, we've got masks. In this corner, we've got no masks. Do you know what I mean? And of course, the ongoing decision-making discourse of vax and vaccine-free. Like our culture is bombarding us and demanding that you and I pick a side. I don't know if you see it. It's pretty obvious to me. But you're still here not because we all think alike. You're still here because you chose unity. Can we just celebrate that for a moment? Just look what you stayed through. That's amazing. It's amazing. But listen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but God prepared us for all of that in August of 2019. In August of 2019, he sent a distraction and you passed that test, which allowed you to pass the next two years. In August of 2019, we were, it got really scary, but we had to choose between a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a Popeye's chicken sandwich. That's when all this started going downhill. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. But you know, it could really go back to is the dress blue and white or brown and gold? No church, no church is perfect. No church is perfect. Uh, but I sure am grateful for this one. And that's exactly how the Apostle Paul feels in Thessalonians. Uh, he's writing to this church. And I want to, um, I'm going to open my Bible to Thessalonians. If you get a study Bible in the front before each book, it tells you why it was written, who wrote it, what the purpose is, where you can find Jesus. And so I've just highlighted, because we're going to read First Thessalonians Together, just a few of the scriptures throughout a few of the chapters. So I'm going to give you a big overview of 1 Thessalonians. But let me tell you the occasion uh, that Paul wrote it. This says, Paul was deeply concerned about the infant church in Thessalonica that he and his team had established on his second missionary journey. Paul had tried to return twice earlier, but Satan hindered him, according to chapter 2, verse 18. Paul sent Timothy back to the church in Thessalonica to investigate the progress. And when Timothy returned, he had a good report. All right, News of their faith amid trouble had spread widely through Macedonia and Achaia. From Corinth, Paul is in Corinth when he writes this letter, it appears that Paul is refreshed by the good news from Thessalonica, and he wrote the letter today called First Thessalonians. This is the first book written in the New Testament, Okay, according to chronologically this is the this is it this is the first one so we kind of get the picture that paul just like me he started a church and he's very happy with the church he's had, there's been a lot of stuff that tried to destroy the church in thessalonica but paul is just very happy with the progress very he's very happy with 
the live stream crowd that's saying amen. He is very happy with people that are showing up in seats. He, he doesn't care if they're masked or not masked or vax or vax free. He doesn't care if they like the Popeyes or the Chick-fil-A. He's just really happy with what the Lord is doing in the hearts of these people in Thessalonica. Okay, And this is where our text picks up. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Read it with me, please. I'm in New King James Version. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing Beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And if you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Ahia who believe. Verse 8 is where we're going to settle today. So let's zone, let's focus in on that. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Ahia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In the introduction of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he speaks very, very highly of the believers in the church. And one of the things that he commends above anything else, we find in verse 8, and that is he commends their witness. Their witness. You know what it means to be a witness. Maybe you've been a witness in court, or you've seen trial on TV. There's someone that stands up, they raise the right hand, they say that they're going to tell the truth, and they bear witness to the incident. They give testimony to the incident. They are stating what they know to be facts of the incident. Well, Paul is saying that these believers in Thessalonica have an incredible witness. They're bearing witness to God. They are giving testimony to the testimony of Jesus. Let's read verse 8 one more time. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Ahia, but also in every place. In every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So I want to kind of break down. Uh, we're talking about love today, but love gives a witness. So I want to talk about the witness of the believers in Thessalonica. All right, there are a few points here that I want to pull out. The first witness that they had was a clear witness. A clear witness. We see that in verse 8 where it says, it sounded forth, it sounded out. 
It was loud. It was vocal. It made some noise. The witness of these believers, it wasn't silent. They weren't secret believers. They weren't incognito. They were conspicuous saints. Right? They, they were clear. They had a, a clear witness. They spoke out for Christ and lived a life that was verbal. The next kind of witness was a continuous witness. That same word sounding forth or sounding out, if you look at the translation in the Greek, it's a continuous action. So it wasn't a one-time declaration. It wasn't just, you know, uh, they... What's a good example? You know, you walk into the front door of these believers in Thessalonica and you see the mirror next to their door and inscribed on the mirror it says something clever like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you would have to walk into the home and read that to even know that that family served the Lord. Because their witness wasn't continuous. Maybe their witness was fine when they were at home in a safe space, but put them at Walmart behind 10 people with the 15 items or less line. And there's that one person who does not know how to count. Or they count all 30 items as one item because it's the same brand. You know what I'm talking about? They got 30 different packs of Coke, Sprite, Pepsi. Okay, I'm spending too much time on this. I clearly need to forgive. I clearly need to, to do some inner healing in the spirit connection. The believers at Thessalonica had a continuous witness. And, and so I, I just want to challenge us today and, and maybe you can look at all aspects of your life and see where the witness is a little more shallow and build up in that area and, and allow God to allow you and help you be a witness at school, help you be a witness at work, not just on Sunday. I know here you look like the greatest Christian I know. But I saw you at H-E-B. Do you know what I mean? We should have a passion and a desire to have a continuous witness. And then what are they talking about in verse 8? They're talking about the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The message of the saints at Thessalonica was the word of God. It wasn't their own words of wisdom. It was the word of of God. It wasn't their own definition of love or what felt right. It was the word of God. They had a credible witness. Credible witness. Now, honestly, I, you know, I love when people are experts in the field and I will take all of the opinions and advice. And do you know what I mean? If I, if I have problems with my feet, I'm not going to go see a neck doctor. So I value expertise. But there is no expert on planet Earth. If they say anything contradictory to the word of God, I know who wins. This, to me, has already become a credible witness. It has borne witness with my soul. Therefore, when I speak, it's based on the word of God. Not my agenda, not my political party, not my social agenda, not my current giving status. It's based only on the word of God. And this is what... The believers in Thessalonica did. They had a credible witness because they witnessed based on the word of the Lord. And then finally, 
we see that they had a considerable witness. Not only in Macedonia and Ahia, but in every place. In every place, it spread wide. The, the, the reach was deep and it was wide. They had a considerable witness. The witness of the Thessalonians, uh, they had a great church. They had a worldwide witness because they were faithful witnessing in their own community. So if you were in Thessalonica, which happened to be a major uh, town of, of commerce, lots of people in and out, they were on one of the main throughways, east and west, where this church was built. And their reputation traveled much further than any individual in the church. Their witness created a reputation not just for themselves, but for Jesus. Love has a witness. Love bears witness to the nature of Jesus Christ. So uh, they were powerful witnesses to God. But listen, I, I want to give them credit and celebrate them. And they, and they should be celebrated. But it didn't just start with them being a witness. You know where it really started? It started when they witnessed Paul being a witness. And I want to take you there Turn the chapter to chapter 2, verse 10. And we're going to see that these people saw Paul as a witness. It says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So the people in this church were witnesses to how Paul, Silas, and Timothy were holy and righteous and blameless. If you have a Bible... You can underline those three things because I find that interesting that that's what they noticed in Paul. They noticed that he was holy, that he was righteous, that he was blameless. I would just suggest that you underline that, circle it, highlight it, do something. Um, because we know that there's something very unique about this relationship between Paul and the church that he established. They are great witnesses. Paul is a great witness. This is what they saw in Paul. And now I want to take you uh, to chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, because we're going to see Paul pray over this church. Now, if this church is so great, the question is, what would Paul's prayer be for the church? Have you ever wondered, I wonder what, what Trey and Carrie pray over the church? You, know, you ever thought about that? Like, we are so awesome. We're such an awesome congregation. I bet they have nothing to pray over. Do you know? I wonder often what leaders, what, what happens in the prayer closet? What has the Holy Spirit placed on them to pray for, for their congregations? That's a really deep question, you know. So we get to see, actually, what it is that Paul was impressed by the Holy Spirit to pray for this church who was doing so well, all right? Thank you for staying on this journey with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 10 through 13 says, night and day, he was praying night and day exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God. 
and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, so there are three things that Paul is praying over this church. Can I just tell you what it is? I'll just narrow it down. He's praying for a maturing faith. We pray for that for you guys often. He's praying that you will increase and abound in love. Oh, man, we sure prayed that over you in 2020. That we would just love one another the way God says to love one another. But then there's a third thing that he prayed. Um, and it comes after the so that. So he prayed that they would increase in love so that. And number three is they would be established blameless in holiness. Paul didn't pray that they would be sinless. That was impossible. He prayed that they would be blameless. That is that after they sinned, they would deal with it God's way, the way God requires so that they would be blameless. Before God, they should be holy, separated to God in their hearts and in their minds and in their habits. You see, Paul ultimately longed for the day that when Jesus would return, he would find them blameless before men and holy before God. I know culture's trying to tell you to pick a side. Forget the other side. It doesn't matter what they think of you. You stand up for what you want to stand up. You, you say whatever you want to say. But, but Paul is praying for the church to be found blameless before men. All men. Even the men on the other side of your stance. You should be found blameless. I'll, I'll lower my tone and volume because this should be preaching really loud in your heart right now. As followers of Jesus, you and I should be found blameless before men and holy before God. And I think we may have just found the love connection. Everybody's so wrapped up in trying to walk in love and find love and be in love and define love. We forget who walks with love. Holiness is the love connection. Holiness is the love connection. We abound in love so that we can be established in our hearts, blameless in holiness. That's the whole purpose of love. That's why we love. Not so that you feel good, not so that... So that I feel satisfied because I love people, people love me. I love so that I can be holy. So often the Bible references love and holiness and we, we associate it as something we do. Like we, we love one another, you know, correcting behavior. Love your brother, love your sister. Quit fighting, right? That's all about behavior modification. We think love is something we do. Or be holy as God is holy is behavior modification. But before we start talking about human activity of love and holiness, Paul says something very important in this text that we just read. He said it comes from God. Love and holiness comes from God. You don't have to labor for it. And there are a lot of religions out there that will teach you all the steps needed to labor for love or labor for holiness, but you don't have to labor for that which is given to you freely. 
Then in, Paul, in, in chapter 4, Paul goes on to say, brethren, love one another and live rightly. But he doesn't do that until we've reckoned this notion, first of all, that this is a free gift. Love and holiness is a gift. And when God gives gifts, you know what kind of gifts he gives? I, I, I reckon he gives a seed. God doesn't give us a furnished product. God doesn't give you a kitchen table. He gives you a seed of a tree. He gives you the seed of love. And then it's up to you to take that seed and to bury it in fertile soil and to water it and allow the sun to shine on it and to prune it where needed and allow that to grow into a mature love. I, I suppose God gives us a seed of holiness. And we take that seed and we bury it in fertile soil and we give it water and we give it the nutrients and we give it the sunshine and we prune it when it needs to be pruned. And then we have a mature tree of holiness. I, I was so excited when I found out where holiness actually came from because I have, I have paid my dues in trying to perform holiness. But Paul says, how does holiness come? Holiness comes through love. It actually doesn't come from your right behavior. Holiness doesn't come from your checklist. Holiness doesn't come from you not doing certain things. You can't be a holy person until you're a loving person. You can't be a holy person until you're a loving person. If you're a holy person without love, you know what happens? You become vengeful. You become critical of other people. You become judgmental. Holiness always flows out of love. So if you, if you find that you're not living a holy life, you're probably not understanding God's love because holiness is a love connection. I want to describe holiness to you, though, because it's, it's a word thrown in the church. It's a bit confusing. Some of you don't even, maybe don't even know exactly what I mean when I say holiness because it can be a bit confusing. I guess when I say the word holiness, you're thinking of something like this. When I say the word holiness, maybe you think of something like this. All right, the rabbi that's laboring for hours over the word uh, maybe when I say the word holiness, you're thinking of something like this, right? If that's holy, I want to be partially. <laughs> that's, they, and these people may be holy, but they're not holy because of what we see. How do we understand holiness? Well, first we got to understand that God is holy. This is his number one attribute in Scripture. When you get to heaven, you're going to see angels. Where you, this, is, this is creative juices flowing. Okay, walk, work with me here. You're going to be walking through heaven and angels. There's this corridor, this grand entrance, I'm guessing. And angels on either side. And as you begin to walk into the throne room, the angels are so glad to meet you. Like all of heaven has been waiting for you to get there. But they're not actually talking about you when you hear the sounds, holy, holy, holy. And the other, holy, holy, holy. I know for sure because scripture describes it that all the angels in heaven are just echoing how holy God is. 
It's his number one attribute. Every, every attribute that you can find about God is connected to God's holiness. Some of us think that God moves between attributes. Like, you know, maybe one day God is loving. And the next day, maybe he puts love on the back burner and he's just. He's a God of justice. Get him, God. Get that man with 20 items in the 15 or less checkout line. Maybe one day God is forgiving. Maybe the next he's holy. Right? Maybe one day God's a friend. The next day God's a king. Maybe one day he's gentle as a lamb. And the next day he's strong as a king. But his attributes are never at odds with one another. Nor do they switch places based on God's mood. Holiness is not an aspect of God. Holy is who he is. So what is holy? I'm glad you asked. Holy literally means set apart. Set apart. If you have any nice dishes at home, um, you know, when the kids get home from school or you, it's just a lazy day, you don't want to cook, you throw in a pizza, you, you probably, like us, have somewhere some very cheap plates that you pull out that can be disposed of so you save the, the two minutes doing dishes, you know? Those plates are just casual. You throw mustard on them, ketchup, they get ripped up, the, the beans soak through, so you got to double plate it because you buy the really cheap ones. You might do better just to buy a dollar more, one plate, but you don't care because they're not holy. They're not set apart. But you do have those dishes when the guests are coming over and you clean house real quick and all, like mama's yelling at everybody, clean, daddy's yelling at her, threatening with the belt, whatever. Clean this, clean that, clean that. And everybody's like angry, cleaning. And then the doorbell rings and you open the door and say, hello. Oh, your house is so beautiful and clean. Oh, really? Thank you. Like you live there like that. And you pull out those dishes from the cupboard and you set them before your guest and they're, they make a noise when you hit them. Right? Maybe it's china, maybe it's ceramic. But then when those guests leave, you wash those dishes and you put them back in the cupboard, not with the paper plates because you don't want Johnny or Jill to break them because they are set apart for a special occasion. Those dishes are holy. God is holy. God is set apart for himself. God, I'll give you a couple examples. God sanctified the Sabbath day, setting it apart from every other day because he wanted people to rest in him on that day. That's why the Sabbath in the Old Testament was called holy. Let's practice. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was called holy because it was set apart. Now in the New Testament, we're not held to the Sabbath. The Bible actually says Jesus became the Sabbath because Jesus is holy. He is set apart. He is now our Sabbath. And you now find rest not in a day, but in a man. Don't, you still need a Sabbath. The rhythms of life, it's good. That, that's not this sermon. I'm not su suggesting that you work seven days a week. A Sabbath is a good rhythm to be in. I'm talking about holy. Jesus became the Sabbath because Jesus is holy. Another example 
is in Exodus chapter 3. You may remember the story that Moses is, is out walking and he sees this bush that's on fire. And there's a flame there and then the flame starts talking. God is talking through the flame and it says, Moses. And he says, yes, Lord, here I am. Moses, take off your feet for where you're standing is holy ground. Because the presence of God that was holy made that which it was touching holy. You can't get close to a holy God without the holiness of God rubbing off on you. But God is set apart. He is, he is holy. He actually is able to rule with power that he doesn't have to borrow. You know, the, when the flame stopped, the bush wasn't burned. It wasn't singed. And we may ask why the answer is simple, because God is holy. He is set apart. You see, the reason the bush didn't get consumed when it was burned is because God didn't need the limbs to fuel the fire. If we had set the bush on fire by any other means but God, it would have consumed the bush because it needed the bush to fuel its power. But God was able to show up in a bush and leave it the same as he found it because he didn't need anything from the bush because he's holy. God is not simply a better, more improved version of humans. He's not just better than us. It's not that God knows more than you. God knows all. It's not that God was, has been around since time began. God created time. To see his holiness is to see his otherness. Otherness, the thing that is outside of you and I. He doesn't just love better than you. He is love. He, he isn't more righteous than you. His behavior isn't more righteous. He is righteousness. He doesn't have thoughts and think things might be okay and then offer you a little bit of hope. And if he happens to maneuver the, the thought processes like we have some hope, he doesn't offer a bit of hope. He is hope. Like he's holy. It's the otherness of God. Like before we were, he was. God wants to give you a gift of holiness to come out of the world, to be set apart unto him, to walk in otherness. But when we talk about holiness, you probably don't think about set apart. Probably what you think about is like behavior, the way you talk, the, the things you do, the way you dress, you know, just like silly, silly little things. But the truth is holiness does incorporate some of that. It's just not only that. Do you know what I mean? Heaven sent 
righteousness is not the same as earth-grown morality. And we would do well to know the difference. A lot of us judge holiness based on what we think is moral or immoral or what people show us, like the highlight reel of someone's life. But you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know the way he treats his wife or the way he, she treats the kids or she treats the husband. You don't, you don't know how that person lies to their parents or cheats in school. Like they may put on a good show, but it goes beyond just a set of behaviors that we deploy at the right time for someone else to see. Heaven sent righteousness is not earth grown morality. You want to know how to be righteous? How to step into holiness? You have to learn how to truly love God. Because holiness flows out of love. What we believe about God will determine how we behave. Yes, holiness is about doing the right thing, but we don't grow in right living by refusing to do wrong things. We grow in right living by addressing underlying belief systems that lead to sin. The soil from which sin is grown is always unbelief. Our, our team can go ahead and come on up. I know we're going to close out in a song. Can y'all listen to me while they load the stage? Our sexual ethics, our wild tongue, our religious superiority, our dark thoughts, our mean ways, our greedy antics, our arrogance and rebellion come out of what we believe about the living God. I'm not referring to the temptation of those things, but to practice them. When we practice habits of sin, it is always birthed out of our belief system about the living God. And when we do those things, we have made the decision not to believe, not to walk in truth, not to acknowledge or depend on God as he has revealed himself to be. Do you remember the story in scripture of the rich young ruler who walked up to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not kill, do not, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not give false testimony. And the rich young ruler says, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus replies, but one thing you lack, go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. I mean, this cat had an invite from the son of God to come and follow him. And he chose to walk away all because he believed Jesus was good instead of God. What are you living in, walking in, wrestling with? All because you have a faulty belief system of who God really is. We think that the way to help people be holy is just to tell them to stop sinning. But in reality, we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the transformation, lasting transformation is a spiritual consequence of beholding the glory of the Lord. You want to change? Do you really want to change? You want to change that behavior and you've tried all kinds of things to get it to change and you keep picking it back up? 
You, you've gone to programs, you've confessed, you've put, put passwords on your phone, you, you've got accountability groups, you've done X, Y, and Z. Do you really want to change? I'll tell you, all of those things are good. You should have accountability. You should get passwords if you're struggling with porn, if you've got issues with all of that. You, we can get you some help. We're all about rescuing people at the Exchange Church. But more than any of the programs and any of the plans, you need to see and behold the face of the Lord. Because when you truly see Him, a God who is holy, when you get close enough to look into His eyes, you find that you're standing on holy ground. Will you stand to your feet this morning? I just want to invite the room to behold him for a moment. We're going to sing one last song. And listen, don't be confused. We're not saved by works around this place. I'm not asking you to love others and act better. I'm inviting you into a moment where transformation flows simply from beholding him. For seeing God, how he truly is, abounding in love and holy. God, I ask that in this song, you would just speak to our hearts, that you would help us to see you for who you truly are. God, I thank you for all the, the tips and the tricks of walking in freedom. But first, can we just see you? Can we behold your face, the God who is abounding in love so that we can walk in holiness? In Jesus' name. Your eyes see the depth of me. I never wanna leave this place. Oh God, I will defend this holy ground with reverence. Nothing familiar to.
Thessalonica had such a great witness because they understand, understood love and holiness. They had set themselves apart, much like you, in the past couple of years, when the world is demanding that you choose a side. You've set, you've set yourself aside, not for any agenda of the world, but for the purposes of God. And so this morning, maybe you're in the room and and you're thinking, I've not really set myself apart for God. Maybe, maybe you don't even understand the concept of holiness because you've not yet encountered the love of God. If you're in the room or watching online and you want to say yes to Jesus today as your personal Lord and Savior, you know he died for our sins. The Bible tells us, as Scripture puts it, he was laid in a grave and he rose again so that you and I could be in right standing with God, so that you and I, could live forever in heaven. Everyone's going to live somewhere forever, but we have the chance to live forever in heaven. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, if you'll just wave at me so I know who I'm praying for, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. If you're watching online, just go ahead and wave at the screen. Just wave at the screen as a active faith. You're saying yes today. And it's real simple. There's no formula to it. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and 9, also 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, tells us what the gospel is. All we have to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was laid in the grave, and on the third day he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And when you believe that with your whole heart and you repent of your sins, you turn from, repent means change your mind. You, you change from letting all of this lead your life to letting Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was crucified, who died for my sins, who rose again for me to walk in victory. I repent, I change my perspective from here to here. That's repentance. Repentance isn't crying because you're sorry. 
That's a contrite heart. Repentance means you've changed directions. And this morning, some of you are ready to repent and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's do it. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, to cover my sins so that I can be in relationship with you. I believe that he's the son of God, that he came to this earth, that he died on a cross for my sins. He was put in a grave and the grave couldn't hold him. And because of his resurrection, I can live in victory. From this moment forward, I'm a son or daughter in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate all the decisions that were made this morning? If you just said yes to Jesus, text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. That is our service for today. You've been wonderful. We can't wait to see you next week at 1030 or Wednesday at 630. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. We love you.